The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Morning, everyone. My name is Dexter. I have the pleasure of reading God's Word to you today. If you can, would you stand and join me? So after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is the word of the Lord. So fam, how are you guys doing this morning? Woo, you guys are awake, and now we're all awake, so thank you, that's pretty awesome. Good morning, and welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. Uh, my name is Jared. I have the privilege and the honor of being one of your pastors. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, we often say that your story is welcome here, and that, that means something to us. It's not just something we kind of throw out every week, but it, it's because one of our values as a church is that our story is God's story. What does that mean? Family, we believe that the Bible is actually one overarching story that begins with God and his incredible love for us. It continues with our rebellion and our treason against him and and then God's covenant promise of rescue and redemption. It peaks with a dramatic entry of God into humanity as Jesus takes on a human nature in addition to his God nature. It points to the church's responsibility to carry out God's mission. And finally, it leads to the conclusion that God will set all things right in reconciliation once and for all. The beauty is that our story will always be a part of God's story with Jesus as the hero. Within this idea of our story being a part of God's larger story, we would say that God is actively present in each and every one of our storylines. That God doesn't just set things up and step back, but that he is constantly in and and around and with us. This means that every twist and turn of your story has value to God and to us at Story City. That no one is too bad or too mad or too far from God to matter to him or to us. Now, This isn't, again, just something we say. It's something that we're learning to live out on this journey as we journey with Jesus together. This season is called Advent, and throughout the history of the church, it's the period leading up to Christmas, and it's supposed to be a time uh, where we are not only anticipating Jesus' arrival, but we are supposed to be prepping our hearts and getting ready for this understanding and celebration of his birth. It signifies God's fulfillment of his promise to enter that story of humanity physically, taking on human nature in addition to that God nature. And and through this act, God conveyed that very idea that every human being has value to him, that no one is too bad or too mad or too far gone for him to value and care about. But Jesus' birth wasn't the end of the story, and that's the hope for us, that his life and introducing the coming of the kingdom of God along with his death and resurrection, confirmed his authority to speak on these matters and and who he was. And it set the stage for his final return when all things will be redeemed and sin and death be defeated. And as we wait for Jesus' final return, we live out our purpose and become a part of God's story for the world. And this is why we keep talking about the fact that our story matters. All right. 
As was mentioned, we have a very light question for you today. Uh, in our minute to mingle question, what is fulfillment and how do we find it? What do you guys have? No, <laughs> everybody's like, that's too much without my first cup of coffee. Anybody want to take a crack at it? Accomplishing a goal. Sure, that meets, meets fulfillment. Yeah. Working hard at something worth doing. Cool. What else? Showing up in the moment. Showing up in the moment and being present and grateful for it. I like that. That's good. Anybody else? Yeah, recognizing a void and having the potential or ability to satisfy that. That's good. Anything? Eating a lot of pie. That does mean fulfillment, yes. Unless you're a cake person, then I guess you're just left out. But that's okay, too. A nice hot cup of coffee. Now we're getting to the real answers, people. All right. This is the stuff I was hoping for. No, that's good. A nice hot cup of coffee. Sometimes it's the small things in life that really do equate to those special moments. And if, as she said, you're actually in that moment, those can be really powerful moments, too. Good. Anybody else? Huh, I have no idea what that means. I don't understand the words coming out of your mouth right now. She said getting a whole night's sleep. I don't, I don't know what she's talking about. Anybody else? Cool. Well, today um, we're talking a lot about what fulfillment is. And, uh, and our big idea for the day for those taking notes is that Jesus is the gift we've all been waiting for. Jesus is the gift We've all been waiting for. Today we're going to see how Jesus is the fulfillment of our longing and see how Jesus is deserving of our worship. Jesus is the fulfillment of our longing, maybe even longing we didn't realize we had, but he's also deserving of our worship. So let's pray and we'll take a look at today's scripture. Before we do, I have a confession to make, and that is that I have not done a good job of taking care of myself recently. And I'm in a spot where I am just, I'm emotionally exhausted. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I just feel like I don't have much to give. And uh, the beauty is, is that God's grace is always enough. But part of that is because I, I really work hard to take care of other people. And sometimes I don't do a good enough job of, of making sure that I'm healthy enough to take care of others myself. So part of this is confession because that's not good pastoring. But part of this is also just, this is, this is life. And if we're not honest about life, then... We end up in places where, where we try to hide stuff, and I don't ever want that to be us either. So here's my request. I'm going to do my best this morning to present God's word. I'm going to do my best to give you everything that I am like I always do. But I would love if you guys in this moment would just pray for me. Is that okay thing to ask for? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, but would you guys just pray whatever's in your heart for me as we go on, and then, and then I'll do my best to get through the rest of this this morning. Father God, you know that I love you deeply. And Lord, I, I thank you that you have um, given me this gift of being able to communicate your word and how much I love being able to express uh, who you are and, and help people fall in love with you by, by helping them understand you in your word. And Lord, this morning I confess that I haven't done a good enough job of getting rest for my soul in this busy season. And so, Father, in front of my family and my friends, I just, uh, Lord, I, I admit that, but I also ask that in this moment that you would be my refreshment. Lord, you are everything that I need, and I acknowledge that this morning um, I don't have the strength to do what is necessary, but you do. Lord, in my weakness, you are made strong. In the areas where I am weak, you are always the best. I thank you, Lord, that, that 
I don't please you by being good. I don't please you by being great at what I do, but that I am loved by you and my identity is found in you because of who you are and what you've done. And so, Lord, this morning, I stand in that and I ask that you'd be glorified in this moment. Praise you, worship you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go back and look at the the totality of today's scripture. We're in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 this morning. Uh, Previously, we had you stand for the reading of God's word. I want to ask you to do that, but would you just make sure that your heart is in the right place this morning? Here is what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and falling to their knees. They worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. There is a lot in this, but let's go ahead and jump to point one this morning, and, uh, and then we will move on. So here's our first observation for the day. Jesus is the fulfillment of our longing. Jesus is the fulfillment of our longing. How about we start with sort of peeling back some of the, the things that I've heard over the years, some of the myths that, that kind of make me laugh. Here's, uh, here's one. We don't know how many magi there were. I know that's going to ruin some people's front yard displays, but we have no idea. Uh, Jesus was not a white Swedish baby, but that's a whole other message besides the point. Uh, we do know there was at least three gifts. That's why people have said, oh, there's three magi, but we have no idea. We don't know really who the magi were. Do you know the Bible describes a guy in the Old Testament who is hired to curse Israel? He's not able to do it. But also Daniel and his compadres, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as magi. There's a reference in the New Testament in the book of Acts to a guy who is called a magi. And so we just don't know who they exactly were. We certainly don't know how the star led them. We don't know if, as some people have claimed, it was a supernova, a conjunction, a planetary conjunction, a, a UFO. I'm sure there's somebody out there saying that. Um, or, or what? Something described as a star. We don't really know exactly what it was or how it worked. The Bible doesn't tell us that. We do know this. We do know that they came from an eastern country. We do know that they were highly educated. We do know that they had some knowledge of the prophecy regarding the king that was going to be born in Israel. We believe that Jesus was around two years old when the Magi made their visit to him. And there's a couple ways we come to this conclusion. So the pictures, again, I'm ruining front yard displays. The pictures of the Magi with Jesus in the manger, not coinciding. They don't work that way. How do we know? First, 
The word used for child in verse 11 is the word padion. Padion means child, but it specifically does not mean an infant. Right? In Luke chapter 2, when the shepherds come to visit baby Jesus, the word used for baby is brephos, which means infant or newborn. So the Bible's careful in one instance to say this is a newborn, an infant, and in another one to say this is a young child. The Bible says in, uh, uh, when the shepherds come, Jesus is in a manger, and when the wise men come, Jesus is in a house. They're no longer in the stable in the inn. So we know that at least enough time has passed for him not to be considered an infant and also for them to move from the stable in the inn to a home. Additionally, we see in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, that King Herod asked the Magi specifically, when did the star arise? Meaning, when did this baby get born? And then later in the chapter, he has his men execute all babies two and under. And so we believe that this is why Jesus was somewhere in the age range of two years old. We know that the Magi came with an expectation that they would find him because they come with gifts. We know that they rejoiced at his birth And that they came with the intent to worship him. Now that in itself is a significant piece of information. They came with the intent to worship this king. Now I wonder what it was like to approach the Roman appointed king. You know, Rome is is known for its mercy. So these guys are approaching the Roman appointed king and they're like, hey, where's the new king that was born? Like, that's an awkward moment, right? Well, I know I didn't have any kids, so, uh, right? But one of the things we see from their gifts is that the Magi understood Jesus to be something more than just the next ruler in line. As multiple authors have noted, these gifts were extravagant and befitting royalty. Now, in these days, it was customary for for people to give gifts to strangers, especially those who were important, but especially when rendering homage to a sovereign, that would have been an expectation that you would have brought some sort of gift. Lang, Peter, and Schaff write, these gifts have been regarded as symbolical. Thus, Theophylact writes, the gold to the king, the incense to the Lord, the myrrh to him who was the taste of death, the great high priest. Similarly, Leo the Great and Javencus suggest that by these gifts, the Magi owned and did homage to both the divine and human nature of Christ. Others have dwelt more on the practical utility of the gifts as a provision for the Holy Family in their impending flight into Egypt. With this view, we may also combine a symbolic interpretation of the threefold gift. Thus, the myrrh as precious ointment may indicate prophet and the balm of Israel, the incense, the office of high priest, the gold, the splendor, of royalty. So the Old Testament has prophesied that, that, uh, that the, the Messiah who was coming was going to be prophet, priest, and king. He was going to fill all offices. He was going to meet all of humanity's needs by being exactly what we needed as prophet, priest, and king. When the Magi uh, introduced the, ur, the myrrh, there's this pointing back to the prophet Isaiah who had prophesied that the, the one coming would be the suffering servant. And so you have this embalming, this funeral spice that gets added to it and there's something that they understand about the nature and character of Jesus by including that into the gifts. Isaiah says that the suffering servant it would be by his wounds that we would be healed. Through his death we would be resurrected. There's this idea of the one who would suffer so that we would not. The magi arrived with this expectation that in meeting Jesus, there would be a fulfillment that would be found 
and the one they intended to worship. See, the truth is all of us have this innate longing, this innate longing in us to see things be right. There's this sense that something is wrong. It's the reason that death hits us so hard. It's because there's a part of us that knows it's not what we were created for. There's a part of us that knows it's not right. It's the reason we crave intimacy and relationship is because we were created for community. God himself is in community. He models it for us. It's what we've seen. It's what the inside of us longs for. And the Bible talks about how all of creation points to the nature and character of God and how he loves and who he is. Because of the brokenness of sin, our nature testifies that things are not right, even if we just can't quite put our fingers on it. In the Matrix, there's this point, it's the question, Neo, the question that drives us, the question that brought you here. It's that same idea, there's something going on, and we just can't, we just can't quite put our finger on it. And somewhere in us is this sense that there isn't an appropriate amount of love, justice, peace, hope, and fairness, and rest in the world we live in. It's the reason we have the Hallmark Channel. So we can pretend all we want. This longing is there because our nature doesn't just recognize that something's wrong. It desires and longs for things to be put back right. And this disconnect exists because all of creation is under the curse of our sin until God makes all things new in his final reconciliation and judgment. Even those of us who have the assurance of Christ, those who are apprenticing Christ, we have that fulfillment, that satisfaction of knowing that Jesus is prophet and priest and king. But even us, there's this, there's this part of us that still carries that yet-to-be-fulfilled longing for the final reconciliation and restoration that Christ will bring. Now, this waiting can be really hard. I know all of you guys are good at waiting. It's just me. But how do we respond? I'm so glad you guys asked. For those taking notes today, this is our second observation for the day, and that is that Jesus is deserving of our worship. Jesus is deserving of our worship. Let's go back to the scripture for today, but this time I want you to think about, pay attention to the reactions of each person to the news of Jesus, okay? So we're paying attention to the reactions of the news of Jesus. Here we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of King Herod, Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw, we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen it as it's rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the palace where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Commentator Daniel Duriani points out there are four main responses in this 
passage, the anger of King Herod, the anxiety of the people of Jerusalem, the apathy of the priests and teachers of the law, and the adoration of the Magi. Now, history tells us that King Herod would die shortly after Jesus' birth and, and had a reputation of being an, an exceptional builder. He did all kinds of great building projects across the, the Holy Land, uh, but he was exceptionally paranoid. He had a ton of uh, palaces built. When you go to Israel with us, uh, you'll get a chance to see and experience some of those. They're, they're pretty impressive. Uh, but he was so afraid. He was constantly thinking everybody was against him that he kept executing people, including his own children. In fact, there's a rumor that one emperor quipped, it's better to be a pig than Herod's son. Because Herod wouldn't eat pork. That way, at least you knew the pigs were safe. But his own children were not. Herod, Doriani writes, heard that wise men were seeking the one who has been born king of the Jews, but he knew no children had been born into his house recently. And so he read the report as a threat. That's nothing new. Herod tended to see everything as a threat. Suffice to say that his order to kill all the young males of Bethlehem in the hope of killing Jesus is wholly consistent with with history's portrait of Herod, a talented but violent and immoral ruler. When the Bible records that the people of, of the area were disturbed because Herod was disturbed, you can easily see why, right? This is not gonna turn out good. There's this perception of, oh man, how is he going to react? But the people would also have a reason to wonder what it meant because they would have known about the prophecies. Especially in a time when Roman government was was occupying the land and they knew them as occupiers and they were waiting for hope, they were waiting for freedom, they were waiting for the Messiah that they believed would establish a kingdom that would be forever and they would never again be subjected to other human rule. They're waiting and waiting and there's this longing for this freedom that they were hoping for. And so they would have been wondering what this meant. Would this mean the downfall of the Roman government? What does this look like? But to me, the most fascinating response of all is the response of the chief priests and the scribes. Verse 4 says, So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes, this is King Herod, he's bringing them together, and asked them where the Messiah would be born. Verse 5, In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And so Herod uh, calls in these two groups of experts to question them about what the Magi's report was all about. And he brings them in and he says, hey, look, these two guys are, are, as one author writes, on the opposite ends of Jewish social leadership. The scribes were conservative teachers of scripture bent on preserving traditional Jewish culture. The chief priests, as opposed to the ordinary priests, were Sadducees. And the Sadducees were totally willing to accommodate Greek power and Roman power and Greek and Roman culture in order to to make sure that they kept their place as sort of the ruling class and their wealth and power that came with it. And so Herod calls in these rival groups, these guys with different perspectives, and he asks them, hey, if these two guys can agree on this, then it's probably true. And he says, what do the scriptures point to? And they all answered together and citing Micah 5, 2, correctly replied in Bethlehem of Judea. They knew where the prophecy was found and they knew the prophecy came from God. They knew exactly what to say. They give their answer 
And then we just don't hear from them again. They don't rejoice. They don't join the Magi. They don't go to Bethlehem to worship or even just to investigate the report. They literally give their answer. They're satisfied and they move on. The apathy of teachers and priests is pathetic, but all too typical, Doriani writes. Religious people were often the last to receive Jesus. And this is a fascinating point. Realizing that just a a chapter before, we see that the very first people told of Jesus' birth were the shepherds. Anybody ever wondered why specifically the shepherds are the very first one who hears the news from angels? I mean, what was it like to be a shepherd in those days? And is there a point or purpose in revealing the birth of the Messiah to them? I think it is. I think it's important for us to understand that these are the first group that's told, the first group to, to be brought into this good news, obviously, other than Joseph and Mary. But we need to know that these guys, and in some circumstances, uh, girls, uh, though that was pretty uncommon overall to be shepherds, they were your blue-collar types. They were working men with rough hands and dirty mouths. These would be your linesmen, your welders, your pipe fitters, your framers today, right? Guys, uh, I love it. You'll see a lot of the stickers. Uh, dirty hands, clean money. Uh, guys, like, guys like that, right? They, more, more than that, though, it was a reputation that shepherds carried. Often, due to the nature of their work, not participating in uh, religious events or festivals, they, they were considered unclean. Because they were considered unclean, they were unsupervised a lot of the time. And because they're unsupervised, uh, they're often accused of theft or other crimes. It's like, well, they're the shadowy, kind of dirty people. And so if we're going to blame somebody, we might as well blame them. They're usually not allowed to be witnesses simply because they're that untrusted. The, the kind of closest thing I could think of today is like the biker. I'm not talking about your, you know, the, the person who rides every, every week, the weekend warrior. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. I love anybody on two wheels. It's great. My bike's right out back. I'm talking about the one whose life bends around being a biker, right? So God shows up first to the dirty shepherd bikers. In appearing to shepherds, God revealed how he would operate, that he would, uh, why he was here and who he came for. See, the angels could have appeared to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, the angels could have appeared to, to the, the, the Sadducees. They could have appeared to the average Joe who paid his taxes and faithfully went to all the religious festivals. They could have appeared to just about anyone, but they appeared to be the ones last on anyone's list for God to show up to. This is a picture of God's very heart and ministry, and it's why we can so confidently say that no one is too bad, too mad, or too far for God to matter for them to matter to God. And from Jesus' birth, the people on the fringes were the first ones to get it. The first ones to get it, right? Now look, however long this order of Magi had been waiting, they had been longing and hoping from his birth. They're not even the ones from Israel. They're from outside, and they've been longing and hoping for his birth, and they show the depth of their longing and the evidence of their fulfillment by making an extraordinary journey. Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star rising and have come to worship him. They show the depth of their longing and the evidence of their fulfillment by expressing extraordinary joy. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. They show the depth of their longing and the evidence of their fulfillment by making an extraordinary expression and falling to their knees and worshiping him. 
Verse 11, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. They show the depth of their longing and the evidence of their fulfillment by bringing extraordinary gifts. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And finally, by defying the existing king, protecting Jesus and returning to their country by another route, verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Family, the truth is all of us have access to the truth of Jesus Christ. And now all of us will have to respond. What will our response be? Will it be to fight against what God is doing? Will it be to be anxious and uncertain? Will it be apathy? Or will it be adoration and worship? One author writes, The Magi brought costly gifts to Jesus, yet I imagine they took delight in doing so. They gave what was natural to them, what flowed from their lives. They followed a star. They gave gold and perfume from the royal court where they lived. The action is an example for us. David once said of his giving that he would not give the Lord that which costs him nothing. We could add, I will give that which causes me joy. We should pray that we will be able to see what gift we can offer God. It should be our goal to give what is best of ourselves to the Lord to give what is best of ourselves to God. What is our response going to be? But here's the thing. Even as we give, we can never outgive God. We can never outgive God. The very fact that he's given us the gift of eternal life, the gift of his presence, the gift of his grace, the gift of his mercy, the gift of his love, all of those gifts are fulfilled and the promises are not because of what we've done or who we are, but simply because who he is and how good he is. That is an incredible gift. That's a gift without strings attached. The beauty of the gospel is that as we wait for the longing in our hearts to be fulfilled, we can stand firm in the promises of those who are apprenticing Jesus. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. So family, here's what we talked about today. Jesus is the gift we've all been waiting for. Today we saw how Jesus is the fulfillment of our longing, even longing we don't know we have yet, and how Jesus is deserving of our worship. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time of worship and service, we reflect on what you've said to us through praise and scripture. We express our gratitude for all you are doing in us and through us. Father, as we prepare to leave, we ask that you would help us to love you and everyone around us with all we are and have. May the way we live bring you glory, and may we carry the message of your love and grace with us wherever we go. And now to this community of Christ apprentices, we, we pronounce this benediction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit abide with us always. May our love for Jesus and people continually grow. Go and be the church. Amen.